Join me this morning by turning in your Bible to Genesis chapter 37. And I want to begin a brand new series of messages today focused on the curious life of Joseph, the son of Jacob. When we read Joseph's life in the book of Genesis, we find one of the most fascinating stories we'll ever read. His life is filled with twists and turns. It reads like a modern-day suspense novel. This is a fascinating story. And there's so many good reasons to focus, to study the life of Joseph. I'll give you just one now. When we study, when we read Joseph's life, we gain encouragement and wisdom for living in uncertain times. Joseph lived in uncertain times, we are living in uncertain times, and we can all benefit with greater wisdom from the Lord for days like these. Now, Joseph's life covers 14 chapters. It'll take us several weeks to get through this. Today, I want to give you an overview of the first half of his life. We'll come back and hit some of these details in the weeks to come, but I want you to see the trajectory of his life. And I want you to notice one phrase that's repeated in, in the Bible over and over and over in reference to Joseph. This is the most important phrase in the story. Listen, the Lord was with Joseph. Listen for that phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. We'll encounter that over and over and over. So let's just jump right in. Two things you need to know about Joseph before we begin. Number one, Joseph was a man of faith. We'll see that in the story in the book of Genesis. You also see that in Hebrews chapter 11. Joseph was known for his faith in the Lord. The second thing that's important to know is that Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional family. Joseph's dad had four wives at the same time. Two of those wives were sisters and they didn't get along. And both of those wives were first cousins to Joseph. This was a messed up family. And then there were two other wives who were also employees. So can you imagine how much jealousy, the rivalries, the hatred, there was violence. Joseph had 11 brothers and one sister. Uh, his brothers hated him with a capital H. You thought your family was messed up. Joseph's family was very messed up. Now, knowing those things, let's look at the first half of his life. I want to describe this to you by going through six scenes that the, that the Bible gives us, six events that happened in the first half of his life. Now, you just have to hang with me through these six scenes. We need to understand a little bit of the flow of the story before we can begin to identify the, the spiritual principles that will encourage us and make us wise uh, for, for living. So scene number one, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers were off tending the flocks. Joseph goes to check on them. They see Joseph coming at a distance and they make a plan that when Joseph arrives, we will kill him. Great family, right? And so Joseph does arrive. They grab hold of him and they throw him in a pit. And then they decide to have lunch because if you're going to kill your brother, you want to do so on a full stomach. And so while they're having lunch, they talk about it and decide instead of killing Joseph, let's just sell him as a slave. So there were some slave traders passing through the area, and they waved them over, and they sold their brother as a slave. I want you to see that. Genesis chapter 37, that's verse 28. Genesis 37, 28 says, when, Midianite, when the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him 
for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. So Joseph's story starts out with a disaster. He is sold as a slave. This this would have been a permanent arrangement. He'll never go back home. He will never see his family again. Nobody even really knows where in the world he'll end up. He's just gone with the slave traders. Things have not started well. That brings us to scene number two. Joseph, in the capital city of Egypt, is then sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. So Potiphar is an official uh, with the government, and he inspects Joseph. This would have been a very humiliating thing. He negotiates a price, and he purchases Joseph. Joseph now becomes the property of this man named Potiphar. That brings us to Genesis 39, verse 2. What is the Bible going to say about Joseph thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, now sold again to Potiphar? Look at Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Doesn't that seem like an odd statement, an odd declaration? The Lord is with Joseph? I'm thinking, no, the Lord can't be with Joseph. If the Lord were with Joseph, Joseph would be back home. If the Lord were with Joseph, Joseph would be with his dad pitching the football. If Joseph, if the Lord were with Joseph, Joseph would be eating his mom's casserole tonight. How could it be that the Lord is with Joseph? But the Bible is very clear. The Lord is with Joseph. Now keep that in mind. Let's go to scene number three. Joseph is a slave in the household of Potiphar. And in scene three, God chooses to pour out his blessing on Potiphar instead of on Joseph. Now, Joseph, when he gets in the household of Potiphar, has a great attitude. It's hard to understand how he could have such an attitude. He doesn't pout. He doesn't rebel. He's not disrespectful. He does exactly what is expected of him. He, he, he serves Potiphar with all of his heart. And God notices, God notices Joseph's faithfulness. And God decides then that he is going to pour out his blessings because of Joseph's faithfulness. But who does God choose to bless? Joseph is faithful. Who does God bless? Well, look at chapter 39, verse 5. It says, from, from the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, Potiphar put Joseph over his household, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. Now, doesn't that seem odd? I wonder if Joseph prayed a prayer like this. Lord, instead of blessing Potiphar because of me, how about you bless me because of me? You've poured out your blessings on the wrong person. But Joseph didn't pray that way. Joseph didn't allow it to impact his attitude. Why was that? Because Joseph knew that God was with him. That brings us to scene number four. Joseph's obedience was tested. So Potiphar's wife makes a pass at Joseph and tempts him to sin. Joseph refuses. And I want you to see that in verse 9. Genesis 39, 9 this is Joseph's reply to Potiphar's wife. He says, no one in this house is greater than I am. 
because Joseph was the head servant in the house. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Joseph said, I refuse to sin in this way. And the reason that he refuses to sin, at least the reason that he gives, is because there's no way I could sin against God. Now, somebody might make the argument, Joseph, why are you honoring God? Where has God been in this story? Has God helped you? Has God rescued you? Has God showed you kindness? There's no evidence of the hand of God. Why are you being faithful to God? But Joseph was faithful to God. Why? Because he knew that God was with him. Now, surely God will be faithful to Joseph now. Surely God will pour out his blessings on Joseph now because Joseph has been a man of obedience. So what's going to happen next? Well, it turns out that things get even worse. Potiphar's wife, in her embarrassment, uh, decides to lie and she reports to her husband that Joseph attempted to rape her. And so Potiphar, very upset, as you can imagine, has Joseph thrown in prison. And I want to read to you verse 21. Joseph is thrown into prison. This would have been a lifelong prison sentence. There there was no appeal. There was no um, lawyer that you could call. Thrown into prison for something like this, you would have been there forever. And so verse 21, notice what it says. But the Lord was with Joseph. Now at that point, I, I think I would have questioned the Lord. Lord, why are you with me? You've been with me enough. If this, what it, if this is what it means to be with me, then why don't you go be with somebody else for a while? Why don't you go be with my brothers for a while? They deserve it. They're the ones that started this whole mess. But Joseph knew that even though things had gone from bad to worse to worse to worse, that God was still with him. So that brings us to scene number five. Joseph's prayers were answered with a consolation prize. Now look with me back in verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. So that's good news, right? Finally, God's going to show him some kindness. But what was this kindness? Well, continue to read. He granted him favor with the prison warden. I can't imagine that that was the kindness that Joseph was praying for. What do you think Joseph was praying when he was thrown into the dungeon, when he was thrown into prison? I'll tell you what I would have been praying. Lord, get me out of here. Lord, give me some freedom. Rescue me from the prison. So God responds to that prayer by showing Joseph kindness, and the kindness is that he gives him favor with the prison warden. I don't want favor with the prison warden. I don't even want to know who the prison warden is. I want to be out of prison. But God shows him kindness in a very uh, unanticipated and maybe even an undesired way. Sometimes when we pray, it seems like God's answers are consolation prizes. We, We pray things like this, Lord, thank you. Uh, that the cancer surgery was successful. Now that's really a prayer, even a prayer of thanks that none of us want to pray. 
right? I don't want the cancer surgery to be successful. I don't want there to have ever been cancer to start with. Or sometimes we'll pray, Lord, thank you that the car accident wasn't more serious. Well, I don't want to have to pray that prayer. I would rather there not be a car accident to start with. It seems like sometimes when we pray that God's answers to our prayers are consolation prizes. And it can be frustrating. But it wasn't for Joseph because he knew that God was with him. In fact, look at verse 23. It says, the warden of the prison did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. Now, one last scene that I want you to see this morning. In chapter 40, Joseph is in prison and he meets two prisoners, fellow prisoners, uh, who used to be high-ranking uh, officials with the king. Uh, one was the baker for the king, one was the cupbearer for the king. And these two prisoners, they each have dreams that Joseph is able to interpret. God gives him the ability to interpret these dreams, and he does so. Now, things don't work out very well for the baker, but for the cupbearer, Joseph says, the dream means that you're going to be restored to your place of service with the king. You're going to be freed from prison, and you're going to be standing next to the king. It's going to happen. Well, the cupbearer is so excited about that, so uh, so pleased with that, that he makes Joseph a promise. He says, when I get out of here then, I'm going to tell the king about you. I'm going to tell the king that you've been wrongly imprisoned, and I'm going to get you out of here. So finally, there's some good news for Joseph. Finally, there's a way for his escape. But what happens? Well, turn to chapter 40, verse 23. The Bible says, yet... The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Yet the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, have you ever heard that blues song that says, if it were not for bad luck, I would have no luck at all? Uh, or maybe you remember the line from Hee Haw. Uh, Gloom and despair and agony on me. Uh, Joseph could have sung that song, but he didn't. Because he knew that the Lord was with him. What could we possibly learn from this story of Joseph's life that went from, from bad to worse over and over and over? Well, we'll learn just that. The Lord was with Joseph. You know, it's easy to say the Lord is with me when everything is going great. When I feel good, when there's no loneliness, no depression, no anxiety, it's easy to say the Lord is with me. When I am not afraid, when there's plenty of money in the bank, when the job is secure, when the family is happy, when the health is strong, when prayers are being answered just as we hoped they would, it's easy to say that the Lord is with us. But what about the rest of life? What about the times when we are hurting? What about the times when we are fearful? What about the times when we're sick or when we're frustrated or when we're tired? Can we really say the Lord is with us in those times? I often hear people say things, and they mean well by this, but they say things that are theologically suspect and hurtful. And here's what I hear people say so often. They say, I'm trusting God to fill in the blank. 
They'll say, I'm trusting God to heal me. I'm trusting God to protect me. I'm trusting God to safeguard my job. I'm trusting God to not let me get the coronavirus. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Well, when you say you're trusting God to do something that God never promised you that he would do, God does not promise that he will safeguard our jobs. God does not promise that you will not get coronavirus or cancer or anything else. So when we say we're trusting God to do something that he never promised us, we are, we are saying that if, if God doesn't do this, then God is less than trustworthy. If God doesn't do this, then he must not be with me. If God doesn't do this, then he must not love me. It's a dangerous thing to say, I'm trusting God to do something that he never promised that he would do. And not only does it cause problems in our lives, but it causes problems in the lives of others because it suggests to them that if they have those problems, then there must be a problem with their trust in the Lord. Maybe God has not been faithful to them. Maybe God is not with them. Maybe God does not love them. If you say, I'm trusting God to keep me safe, then what about your friend who isn't safe? If you say, I'm trusting God to keep me from getting cancer, or I'm trusting God to heal me, or I'm trusting God to safeguard my job, what about those whose jobs are in jeopardy? What about those who are unemployed? What about those who are sick? You know, instead of saying, I'm trusting God to do something how about we just say, I'm trusting God? And we just end it there because that's, that's what, we're, what we want to do. We're just trusting God. And whether he safeguards my job or not, I still trust him. Whether I get sick or not, I still trust him. Several years ago, I, I read a story written by Max Licato, a Christian author and a pastor. And it's been several years since I've read the story, so I may get some of the details wrong, but I I remember the gist of it. It's a powerful story. Uh, Licato tells the story of being at home in his study, preparing for a sermon or writing a book. I, I don't recall. Uh, but he hears some commotion in his backyard. So he runs out. His family is in the backyard. Uh, he has a swimming pool. And one of his daughters uh, is laying face down, motionless in the pool. She is drowned. And the family is screaming. He grabs his daughter, pulls her out of the water, and uh, begins to uh, do whatever it is that you do to attempt to resuscitate her. And he's praying, oh, Lord, help her, help her. Everybody's praying, and there's a panic, and he's doing what he knows to do. And then she's resuscitated. Uh, she spits out the water. She begins to breathe. She's fine. And so he tells the story that he, that he goes back to his office and uh, in his home there, and he gets down on his knees. He's just so emotional, as you can imagine, and he, and he begins to pray, and he prays like this, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for showing your kindness. Thank you for, for being good, for being reliable. Thank you. And he said in the middle of that expression of thanksgiving, the Lord reminded him, I'm not good because I saved your daughter. I'm not loving because I saved your daughter. I'm not reliable because I saved your daughter. It is not evidence that I am with you that your daughter survived. Even if your daughter would have died, I still love you. Even if your daughter would have died, I would have still been with you. See, we need to understand that God is with us. If we are people of faith, God is with us even when life is hard, even when things are difficult. 
So what do we learn from this, from this story in, in the book of Genesis, the first half of the life of Joseph? Well, we learn that what is true of Joseph is also true of us. If we're people of faith, what, is, what was true of Joseph is true of us. Let me just walk you through a list of things. First of all, the Lord is with you even when your loved ones reject you. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He was mistreated. The people that should have loved him most abandoned him. Yet the Lord was with Joseph. Maybe you feel the sting of rejection. Maybe you've been abandoned by the people who, sh who should love you most. Listen, God loves you and God is with you. We should know that the Lord is with us even when our dreams turn into disappointments. We didn't read the passage, but back in Genesis chapter 37, God gives Joseph some grand dreams. But by the end of chapter 37, it seems that those dreams have been lost. Yet God was with Joseph. Have your dreams been turned into disappointment? Listen, God has a plan for your life, and God is with you. We know that the Lord is with us even when others are blessed more than we are. Now, Joseph worked tirelessly and faithfully, uh, but God seemed to bless Potiphar more than God blessed Joseph. God seemed to bless others more than God blessed him. Yet he knew that God was with him. Does life seem unfair to you? Does it seems like, seem like others have cut in line ahead of you for the blessings of God? Know this, God will take care of you. God is with you. We know that the Lord is with you even when doing the right thing doesn't pay off. Uh, Joseph faced extreme temptation and he did the right thing, but he suffered for doing the right thing. He was thrown into prison for doing the right thing. Yet God was with him. Have you done the right thing only to find that it made life harder, that it made life more difficult? Well, know this, God knows and God is with you. We see that the Lord is with you even when your prayers seem to get answered with a consolation prize. The passage says that God showed his kindness to Joseph, but it wasn't exactly like he would have hoped. And so for us, when it seems like our prayers, God's answers to our prayers are out of sync with our needs, let's remember that God is sovereign and God is with us. We know that the Lord is with you even when you are forgotten. Uh, for Joseph, he finally had a glimmer of hope, yet the cupbearer forgot him, but he knew that God was with him. Have you been forgotten? Have you been abandoned? Know this, God has not forgotten you, and God is with you. We know, we know that the Lord is with you even when life seems hopeless. At the end of Genesis chapter 40, there seemed to be no hope for Joseph, yet God was with him. And maybe you've come to a place in your life where it feels like there is no hope. But know this, God holds your future in his hands 
and God is with you. If you are a person of faith, you can put your trust in the promises of God. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. Psalm 23.4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We can lean on those promises. We can cry out to the Lord. We can embrace him. We can trust him. And we can know that God is with us, even when our life resembles uh, the life of Joseph. If you're not a person of faith, my prayer this morning has been that Joseph's story will become your story. Uh, That even in the most difficult days of life, that you can have the assurance that God is with you. Because of the work of Christ on the cross that brings the forgiveness of our sins, if we put our trust in that, God will save us, God will forgive us, and God promises that he will be with us all the time, forever. God will be with you. And you can have that assurance. You can have the assurance that Joseph had that allowed him to weather every storm You can have that assurance that God is with you if you call on the Lord. If you would like to call on the Lord this morning, I want to help you with that. You'll notice a telephone number on your screen. If you will send a text to that number, just text minister, the word minister to that number, and it'll ask you a couple of questions, and I will reach out, or one of our other ministers will reach out today, and we'll give you a call. And we'll talk to you and we'll help you have the assurance that Joseph had that no matter what is going on in life, God is with me. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that I have the assurance that you're with me. When life is good, when prayers are answered, when things are easy, when I feel secure, you are with me. But when life is hard, when I am hurting, When I am fearful, when I am frustrated, I have the same confidence that you are with me. And just as that made such a difference in Joseph's life, I am thankful that it makes a difference in my life every day. I pray that we will all have that same confidence, that you will remind us that no matter what seems to be going on, that you are with us. Father, for those that don't have that assurance I pray today they will have the boldness and the courage to reach out so that we can help them know what we know, that God is with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.